Good evening. I want to welcome you uh, to our Good Friday service. I want to uh, pray here in just a minute, but before I pray, uh, I do want to uh, just kind of affirm to you as we get started uh, that tonight's going to be a little bit different. Uh, that there's no, you're going to notice there's no music, uh, no real uh, technology elements to the service. Uh, it's just kind of uh, me, a Bible, a few notes, and uh, a Good Friday service that we wanted, uh, that we hope. Uh, despite it being a little bit different, will be special. So what, what I want to do tonight is really, really simple, uh, but I hope it will be meaningful, is I want to walk you through a timeline of what happened beginning Thursday night uh, through Friday when Jesus was crucified. And I, wanna walk, I want us to walk through uh, some of those events, immerse ourselves in those events, see those events, and hopefully it will result uh, in our praise and our worship and our eagerness to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this day. Uh, we uh, thank you for uh, the sacrifice of your son for our salvation and uh, for our grace. And we're grateful uh, beyond what words can express. And I just want to pray as we kind of walk through uh, some of the timeline of the events uh, that led to the death of your son, Jesus, that we would remember these events and that they would create in us a sense of worship and awe and hope and joy and peace and an eagerness uh, to worship your son uh, with all uh, energy and passion on, on Easter Sunday. Uh, we thank you again for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so Thursday, uh, Thursday evening after Jesus had shared the Last Supper with his disciples, uh, they go to the garden, and while they're uh, at the garden, um, the first kind of event I want to start with uh, as we roll into Thursday night into Friday was the arrest, uh, the arrest of Jesus. Matthew 26 records it. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions uh, reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled to say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets may be fulfilled, and then all the disciples deserted him and fled. And following this moment of Jesus' arrest, uh, he went through a subsequent uh, overnight, Friday night into Friday, he went through four trials. And the Gospels each record these four trials. Uh, the first one was Annas, it's in John 18, 12 through 14. And uh, he was the previous high priest, Annas was, and the father-in-law to the current high priest, uh, Caiaphas. 
And in the text uh, that you can uh, read later, Jesus says to Annas that they should question the people who listen to him in the synagogue to testify to exactly to what he said. Uh, and what it ends up resulting in is Jesus, in this trial, he's punched in the face, and then he's forwarded to Caiaphas. And that's trial number two. This is recorded in Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 18. And Jesus appears before the Sanhedrin, and he's questioned specifically about his claim that he would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Uh, and he's also specifically questioned as to whether he is the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus answers this. Uh, that was the kind of focus of that trial. Yes, it is as you say. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming out of the clouds of heaven. This result, this statement results in Jesus being spit on. He struck in the face with their fists. And it's after this uh, violent outburst that out in the courtyard, Peter first uh, denies Jesus and goes on to deny him two more times for a total of three times. That's the trial of Caiaphas. Then Jesus is ushered into the Sanhedrin for trial number three. This is recorded in Matthew 27, Mark 15, and Luke 22. And having deliberated until the early morning, the Sanhedrin makes the decision, it's the Sanhedrin that makes the decision to sentence Jesus to death. When Judas hears the news that Jesus has been sentenced to death, uh, he goes out and he takes his own life uh, because of his part in what had happened. That, that's the Sanhedrin's decision, that Jesus, based on the previous two trials, should be put to death. But the Jews could not uh, execute a, a kill order like that, so they had to go to the Roman authorities. And so this was trial number four. And it's recorded in Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 18. And they, the Jews had no authority to execute Jesus, so they had to get Rome's permission. And so they sent Jesus to Pilate, and Pilate questions Jesus and finds absolutely no reason to have him executed. He even sends Jesus to Herod, who was anxious to meet Jesus for a variety of reasons. Um, and uh, when Jesus wouldn't answer any questions or perform any miracles for Herod, he became angry, ridiculed him, mocked him, and sent him back to Pilate. Back to Pilate, uh, being unsure of what to do. His wife had warned him uh, to have nothing to do with Jesus, proposed to the people that they uh, could have Jesus released or a murderer named uh, Barabbas. And then Jesus' fate was sealed. The crowd turned on Jesus. He was flogged. He was handed over to be crucified. And that's now getting past Thursday into Friday. It's the crucifixion. The day we remember today. Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 19 all record Jesus' death on the cross. Uh, you have to understand before we get into some of the, the other stuff I want to share with you, uh, that the cross, the way the cross came to be, is it was a competition in Roman culture over who could come up with um, the most horrific form of capital punishment. And they had a contest in ancient Rome to determine this, and the cross ended up being uh, the winning entry. It was a uh, a sick mixture of pain and suffocation. You'd have to hold yourself up on the cross to even get a breath. And many times, not in Jesus' case, but many times, uh, you would eventually, they would eventually break your legs so you could no longer get up to get a breath uh, and you would end up suffocating. Almost all 
uh, crucifixions ended up, the, the cause of death ended up being suffocation, that people just couldn't pull themselves up to get a breath and their lungs eventually collapsed and they, they suffocated. Uh, and during the course of this crucifixion, as we read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is mocked, he's beaten with rods, he's beaten with their fists, a crown of thorns is push, pushed into his skull, He's beaten with uh, whips leading up to the crucifixion. The whips would have been uh, dipped in pieces of glass uh, and bone, and it literally would tear Jesus' flesh off the bone. He would be disfigured, honestly, um, and unrecognizable at this point in the process. And the worst part of Jesus that that, uh, the Bible will tell us was not the physical anguish. The worst part of it ended up being the spiritual anguish that from the cross he ends up uh, taking on the sins of the world. He ends up taking on your sin and my sin, and he ends up doing that so that we could receive grace and our sins could be forgiven. The torture of the cross, it went on for six hours. Jesus had already been up all night, uh, but he was on the cross from 9 uh, a.m., which was the third hour, to 3 p.m., which the Bible records as the ninth hour. And the Bible says that beginning at noon, Uh, until 3 o'clock, darkness covered the whole earth. Uh, That's the crucifixion of Jesus. Now from that cross, uh, Jesus, we know from each of the Gospels that there were seven statements that Jesus made from the cross. Um, The first was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Luke 22, 34. So from this uh, moment on the cross, given all the spiritual anguish and all of the physical anguish, Uh, Jesus' first thought was grace. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Uh, Luke 23, the next statement is, I tell you, uh, today you will be with me in paradise. You may remember this, that there were two uh, thieves that were crucified next to Jesus, and one of them puts their faith in Jesus, and the other uh, kind of ridicules Jesus and doesn't understand why Um, who Jesus is and what he came to do. And the man that expresses kind of faith in Jesus, he says, I'm I'm telling you right now, because of your faith, uh, your sins are forgiven uh, and you will be with me in paradise when when you die. Um, John 19, the third statement of Jesus is, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple John, here is your mother. And so one of the things that Jesus does from the cross is he's, making sure that his mom is going to be taken care of. Um, and that's a, I think it's a really kind of tender and beautiful scene from the cross, that Jesus was interested in making sure that his family uh, was cared after. Matthew 27, uh, the fourth statement of Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's taking on the sin of the world in this moment. Your sin, my sin, the sin of the crowd He's taking on everybody's sin. And in that moment, um, he felt separated from the Father. And he who knew no sin became sin that we might receive the righteousness of God. And that's an amazing, uh, we talk about it as the great transfer, that I transfer on the cross to Jesus all of my sin, and he transfers to me all of his righteousness. Uh, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then John uh, 19, uh, I am thirsty. It shows the humanity of Jesus in that moment, that um, he's, uh, uh, he's the son of God, but he's also man, fully God, fully man. And in that moment, uh, he gets thirsty. 
and then John 19.30, it is finished. Uh, the work of Jesus, now his story wasn't finished, obviously, but his work to pay for the sins of the world was finished. And I think that there's an ugliness to the cross, and I can tell as we go uh, any time that we talk about the cross and um, what Jesus endured, you know, the, the whippings uh, with, with the glass and the bone, that a lot of men uh, that endured that died just from that. Before they could even go to the cross, they would die uh, from those whippings. It is uncomfortable to look at. It's uncomfortable to read about. It's uncomfortable to think about. But Good Friday uh, reminds us of what Jesus did to pay for our sin but we get the luxury, and it's a really beautiful thing, we get the luxury of viewing Good Friday through the lens of Resurrection Sunday, right? And so there's hope that we know Jesus, while he suffered, uh, he did not just continually suffer for all of eternity, that while he uh, endured great difficulty, um, he did not endure that difficulty for all of eternity, that he went to that grave, and three days later he burst forth victorious but it is important to get our celebration on on sunday it's important that we do take uh the 15 minutes that we've taken tonight and that we look at the cross and we remember the cross and we absorb the cross because it's important that we remember what he accomplished but it's also important that we remember that he defeated death two days uh, three days later um, so i want to read to you uh, this is mark's account of the cross um, and uh, it's about 20 verses or so. Uh, I, want, I want to read that, and then I want to go to uh, an Old Testament text, if you'll allow me. It says, And then they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, and they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. And divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide uh, what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So you can kind of see that earlier charge being used against Jesus. So also the chief priests and scribes mocked him to one another, saying he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken, him, forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let's see if, whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that, uh, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, the first kind of statement of faith, truly this man was the son of God. And they were also women looking at him from a long distance, 
Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of uh, Joseph uh, Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. This is Isaiah's predictive moment. He says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And we, like sheep, have gone astray. And we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. And yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. That's your Savior. That is your king who bore our transgressions and, and took our iniquities and was crushed for our iniquities so that we could be forgiven and know God in this life and in the next. And it's kind of a weird thing to call this a Good Friday. We call it Good Friday because we know about Sunday. Um, if Paul uh, later on will say, the Apostle Paul, that man, if Jesus is not risen from the dead, uh, our, our faith is foolish. We, we, we shouldn't have it at all. And so what makes today a good Friday is understanding that the resurrection's coming and what Jesus accomplished on this good Friday and what he did uh, for us so that we could be forgiven. And so we want to pause just for a few minutes uh, every year before Easter and we want to look at the cross as uncomfortable as it is and as hard as it is to see we want to look at the cross and we want to see his suffering and we want to remember it because by his wounds we are healed. And that's an amazing promise. And so I wanted uh, tonight um, to take a few minutes. We're going to receive communion. And uh, as your uh, pastor, I would, love, I would love to serve it to you. And so I'm going to come around and serve communion to everyone. And you can just hold on to those and then I'll come back up and I'd love us uh, to receive it together as a church family. It was Thursday earlier in the evening that Jesus shared this Last Supper with his disciples. And it really struck me this week as I was studying that, that this Lord's Supper really has a lot to teach us about suffering. The original Passover feast that was given to Israel way back in Egypt happened in the middle of their suffering. They were enslaved, and at some point God had enough and freed his people from their slavery right in the middle of their suffering. This feast that we're about to share, the Lord's Supper, that commemorated the Passover meal, that remembered the Passover meal, uh, happened before Jesus' suffering, right before it, but before it. And then in the middle of the supper, Jesus says, I won't partake of it again until the kingdom is established, and essentially when his suffering is done. And so I don't know what you came in here um, Carrying, but the Lord's Supper has something to say to our suffering wherever we are. To those of us that are in the midst of our suffering, 
The Lord's Supper reminds us that he's with us. He hasn't left us. He hasn't abandoned us. He is right there. Those of you that are in the middle of your suffering, please remember that. Those of you that are maybe sense something coming that you're before you're suffering and you're like, man, I can see on the horizon that this is going to be a tough road. This is going to be difficult to remember. The Lord's Supper reminds us that he empowers us and he helps us on the road of suffering. That just like Jesus overcame his suffering, he wants to help you and equip you to overcome yours. And those that are uh, past their suffering, that have overcome it, and it's in the rearview mirror, the Lord's Supper reminds us to celebrate that with the Lord, to celebrate that, man, he helped me, he equipped me, he empowered me to overcome. And so wherever you are at today, this Lord's Supper has something to say to us. For those of you that are before, those of you that are in the middle, and those of you that are after suffering, this meal has something to say. It's not just a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice. We're remembering the Lord's suffering. We're remembering his suffering, but we're remembering it in light of resurrection. And so we're remembering it in a way that reminds us that he overcame. He endured and overcame. He paid for our sin. He accomplished good things. He has secured our forgiveness. He has secured our grace. He has granted us eternal life. And we're able to view this meal of Good Friday, understanding that resurrection is coming. And the same thing is true for you. I don't know what you're facing today, but the same thing is true for you. You may be in the midst of your sorrow, but I promise you joy comes in the morning. That's what resurrection promises us. So his body given for you. His blood poured out. Jesus, we thank you for the example of a faithful, loving, and giving sufferer. And I know that there are people in this room that are all over the map on this, that um, some they are in the midst of their suffering. Some, uh, they, are, they can see it coming and some have gotten through it and they're on the other side of it. And your Lord's Supper that you've given to us has something to say to each of those stories. For those that are in the middle of it, I want to pray that this supper tonight would remind them that they are not alone that you overcame the grave so we would never have to be alone. And so we understand tonight in the midst of our suffering that you are with us. For those that are before their suffering and they can see the light coming and they just know a hard day is up ahead or they're expecting it in some way, may we remember tonight through your Lord's Supper that you are empowering us you are helping us. We need not be afraid of the future because we know whatever it is, you're also there. Your resurrection reminds us of that. You are also there waiting for us, willing to help us, empowering us. And that again reminds us we, we too are not alone. And for those of us that are through it, on the other side of it, may we remember tonight through this Lord's Supper that you call us to celebrate. Jesus' resurrection and our own. Jesus' victory and the victory that he has given us. 
And so we want to remember in this feast tonight that sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. We thank you for our suffering servant who endured. We thank you for everything that it teaches us. And we most of all tonight want to thank you for the power of resurrection. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you for coming tonight. We'll see you for a celebration on Sunday.